You are now entering the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. Welcome to episode 114 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel, brother. <laughs> and I'm Josh. And uh, it's been a long week. I, let's see if I can remember how to do this. Okay. Use 40 Going On 14. I do not I know use. Hmm. Uh, push 40 Going On 14. 40 Going On 14 falls off the table. Hmm. Talk to 40 Going On 14. Josh, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. The next thing I was going to do is uh, type take. I hate these parser interfaces. <laughs> and once again, if you haven't guessed, this episode is on adventure games. Uh, from the beginnings of interactive fiction to the uh, veritable movies that have come out uh, on the uh, Telltale Games scene recently. So, Yeah, I mean, unless you're an Xbox Live or PlayStation Network console gamer, the adventure game is pretty much a PC thing. Because a console gamer hears adventure game, they think like Legend of Zelda. Well, not not really. I have got the entire uh, Telltale uh, Monkey Island series on my PlayStation 3. Yeah, but did you get that uh, on a disc or did you get that through the PSN? Well, I got it on the download. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, you okay. find them on the stores, but they're not usually main release titles on consoles. So, I mean, this is that's why I wanted to, like, off the bat, before we even get into the other stuff, like, clarify what we're talking about. Yeah, well, we're talking about initially what was known as interactive fiction back in the early 80s. Uh, stuff like Zork for the old schoolers, uh, where the entire game was done in text. And uh, like Josh, you know, we showed in the beginning, it's like you had to type in what you wanted to do, kind of guessing at what the uh, the story writer, uh, what vernacular they were using. Yeah, the good ones would allow different commands that uh, would, like, two or three different ways to write what you were trying to do, but the bad ones, you had to type it exactly that way. Oh, yeah. But we'll get, but we'll get back With to no that. typos. Yeah. No. So if uh, you'd like to interface with a good podcast, I know a place you could go. Where's that? That'd be the Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Really? Yeah, you Dude. can find such great shows uh, such as Musings of a Geek, The War Pod, Graphic Novice, Rather Be Dead, hmm. Dark Angels and Pretty Freaks, 365 Flicks, and everyone's favorite sports, sports show podcast. and Mike's newest like on Facebook, <laughs> The Left Field Sports Lounge. <laughs> I, I like to think that somewhere they got out, they got like a, something went bing. <laughs> when was the last time that light lit up? Yeah. Uh, also, if you're looking for us on Saturdays at noon, just out there wandering around and would like to stream something, go to Geek Life Radio. You can find our most recent show on uh, that station at noon every uh, Saturday. I wonder if we've got this contingent who is uh, lagging a week behind who normally listens Saturdays at noon. If you're out there, give us a call. Uh, our voicemail number, as always, is 708-NOW-RAP. That's uh, 708-669-9727. And you're welcome to call, even if you're not from Geek Life Radio. I'm just curious because uh, we, we hear from various people. A uh, couple people use the Facebook page to leave us uh, a voicemail, and we've got... Uh, 
typical voicemails from our regulars. Just sort of curious who all else is out there. Yeah, if you uh, listen to Geek Life Radio or see us on Facebook, try that little button. Click call. Works on your phone, too. Go figure. I think think somebody clicked the button this week and panicked and didn't leave a voicemail. (laughs) What does it tell us when you're clicking? What does this button mark call do? Oh, shit, it's calling somebody. (laughs) I'm looking Uh, at you, Randy Claxton. Whoa. (laughs) Say his name three times and he appears. Now that's twice <laughs> for the entire run of this show. Once more. He must never be spoken of again. <laughs> Who? No, no. Ah. <laughs> if you'd like to check out our older shows, including the show where we first mentioned He Who Shall Not Be Named. <laughs> uh, that's the funny, but you know, get in. <laughs> uh, you can always check out our archives on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and the entire archives from 1 to 113 on TalkShoe. Yeah. So... You Soon had to spoken, be 114. Yeah. yeah. You had spoken what? of uh, voicemails, Josh. We have any this week? Oh, yeah. Let's uh, let's just start. Uh, yeah, this seems like the place to start. Good morning, fuckers. <laughs> well, I'm back on back at work after my uh, my my small pilgrimage. And I must say, Patrick, you look about exactly what you sound like you look like. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't say... You wouldn't be out of place playing Friar Tuck in an off-Broadway production of Robin Hood. <laughs> However, your uh, killer DM sandwich, it was good. Wasn't great. Not worth 12 bucks, <laughs> but I'd pay 8 for it. So, by my math, you owe me $4. And uh, also, roaches, huh? Have you seen the, the I think it was a, not a Tales from the Crypt, but like a Tales from the Dark Side movie about the guy in the white room. Creep show. Who's afraid yep. of bugs. <laughs> That shit fucked me up when I was a kid. I had nightmares about that for years. <laughs> yep. Kisses. Oh, uh, and just, just to clarify, your, your sandwich, Patrick, <laughs> it was like you guys. Adequate. <laughs> did you actually meet him? No, he didn't say anything when he came to my... I, I that, guess he actually did come. That's really fucking creepy. <laughs> that's Charlie for you. Awesome. And, he, and we'll never know if he just looked up your menu online and is claiming he was there or actually <laughs> showed up and didn't say who he was. I'm going to check the credit card receipts. I wonder if he paid in cash. That, I think <laughs> I think he may have that planned out. Just saying. All right, I got another one. Uh-oh. So, you guys have had a running skit. I'm sorry, hey fuckers. Uh, you guys have had a running skit about Mr. No-Nose. Yes. But really, what you secretly feared was Mr. All-Nose? Is that, is that what you're telling me, guy that's not Joel or Pat? I'm just going to take a stab in the dark, so your name is uh, Randy. Randy is afraid of Mr. All-Nose. Anyway, um, I also had a, a series of recurring childhood nightmare dreams involving bugs. They, uh, everything in the house was covered in bugs. It was like the, the wall of the, the Temple of Doom in Indiana Jones, where I'm just walking through the house and everything is crawling with bugs except for the ground in the path that I am walking on. And uh, lately, uh, meaning the past several years, the vast majority of my nightmares are usually work-related, uh, some kind of catastrophe at one of my jobs where... There is a horrible accident. I wasn't able to stop it, and my job is to go in and see if there are any people that survive or to start pulling out bodies. And uh, that always bothered the shit out of me because of the nature of the work that I do. And a lot of times, uh, see, I can't watch zombie movies because I have too active of an, of an imagination. And whereas the movies don't scare me, what it does, it puts me in the frame of mind where I have nightmares about being in some phase of the zombie apocalypse. Rarely do I ever see a zombie. 
in any of my dreams. But, you know, the, the boarded up windows, the abandoned neighborhoods, the no power, and uh, knowing that at any moment my children will be in danger and there's very, very little I can do to stop them from being hurt or killed right in front of me. That is probably my greatest fear. And now you know. I'm I'm waiting for something. I'm fucking with you. The voicemail's over. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going to say the rest of the story. It's interesting because, like, we, anyone who's heard the Fear Show knows that it went unusually serious for us. And people seem to have responded to it. Oh, yeah. We got some. We even just got a very special voicemail from Charlie. Yeah. That he's, I mean, first of all, what does Charlie do that he's responsible for accidents not happening? We'll talk off the air. (laughs) I can't talk about it here, but I know. Oh, dear God. Um, but no, I mean, I think I think that's a, a universal fear if you have kids. It's like things happening to your children that you have no control over and can't stop. But sure, I don't want to go down that Charlie, road again. Charlie trains riding horses for the CIA. Damn it, we're not supposed to talk about it. That's my guess. No. No, you have to die. <laughs> All right. And there's, there's we have uh, we have emails this year, this time around, too. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, astute oh, listener can't... Joe Eberino. Uh, he suggested that uh, we do a show on Woody Allen's 1976 movie, The Front, and compare it to the new Brian Cranston flick, Trumbo. Uh, both of them are about the Hollywood blacklist. Nice. So I, for that. I don't want to do a racist show. I have news for you, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? The call's been coming from inside your house. <laughs> You're the racist. <laughs> no! And uh, Tommy the Duck uh, has suggested us doing Airplane and Soul Plane. Oh, God. <laughs> I like think I'd enjoy that. that. I think I'd enjoy that. I haven't seen Soul Plane. And I made Either. a mistake quite a while ago because Airplane, guess what it's rated? PG. PG, right. I don't know what the hell I was thinking putting that on for the kids. I had. Oh, I, yeah. It was like, yeah, it's PG. But there were boobies. Yeah, there's boobies and dick jokes and all sorts of stuff going on there. A lot of adult humor in that PG movie. Yep. People don't realize that when Mike's off air, he sounds different. <laughs> I'm going to put in the airplane. <laughs> you girls want to watch airplane? It's got a blow up now in it. <laughs> it's a joke he's been playing on them for 14 years. <laughs> That's going to pay off big someday. Yeah. Take them down and smack them, yag them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, God. So that's our uh, communique with the listeners. Hey, Josh. Uh, yeah. About that time? Oh, yes, it is. This week in music, movies, and TV. Did somebody just kidnap Joel? <laughs> Spark. <laughs> I like uh, reaching back into the classic, classic bumper. Oh yeah, like well, hearing it occasionally. The uh, the problem is on my soundboard. I have like three buttons marked TWI, and I'm not entirely sure which one is which. I should really relabel them, but it's kind of fun going. I don't remember what this button does. Let's just hit a classic <laughs> new uh, Nikki Josh Dubstep remix. Yeah, I gotta dig that one up. And you're. Uh, um, the Marilyn Manson one you got. All right. So the uh, this weekend, 1980, is a commercial release of Zork 1. That's the year we're going for. And uh, music, the number one song in the land is Woman in Love by Barbara Streisand. A very forgettable song. Wait, what were we talking about? Exactly. Exactly. 
Uh, on November 17th, Isaac Hansen, singer from the band Hansen, known for their amazing song, Mbop. Mbop. Don't do it. Stop. Stop. Is born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Double Fantasy, the final studio album. Jesus Christ. I love that song. I don't know why, but I do. Anyway. There's something wrong with you guys. <laughs> That's like, that song hits the perfect amount of cheese for me. I don't know. I had, for some reason or another, earlier in the week, I'm sitting at my desk and singing Party All the Time by Eddie Murphy. Oh, God. <laughs> song. I haven't heard that in like a year and a half. <laughs> and well, I, was just, I was singing After the Rain by Nelson. So, you know. Ooh, Jesus. <laughs> um, so, Double Fantasy, the final studio, studio album released by <laughs> BJ Davis. The, the final strudel. <laughs> the final strudel released by John Lennon in his lifetime is released on November 17th. Though initially poorly reviewed, the album is notable for its association with Lennon's murder three weeks after its release. Wow, it must have been a really bad album. Uh, whereupon <laughs> it became a. <laughs> I don't a like. worldwide commercial Here's success. my review. <laughs> and went on to win the 1981 Album of the Year at the 24th Annual Grammys in the Because He's Dead Now category. I'm Mark David Chapman, and I write with bullets. <laughs> uh, November 21st, the Eagles' Don Henley is arrested when cocaine, quaaludes, and marijuana are found in his hotel room after a 16-year-old prostitute has what? drug-related seizures. Wow. Yep. He is subsent- he is then charged <laughs> <laughs> charged only that was with the porky pig right there. Like that. <laughs> with contributing to the delinquency of a minor to which he pleaded no contest and was fined $2500 and put on 2 years probation. Who says quaaludes anymore? Well, this was the 80s. I know, yeah, right? You could still get them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the good uh, old days. <laughs> Just the good old days. <laughs> Wait a second, 1980. You were like four, weren't you? He was yeah. the he was the craziest four year old you've ever seen. <laughs> that I kid's was... like he's on quaaludes. <laughs> he is. That's right. Don Henley's cousin. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, Mike was talking like that back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Movies. Uh, Private Benjamin was the number one movie in America in the middle of an eight-week run. That had a funny movie. I haven't seen yeah. it. Yeah, you haven't I seen that. I was a big fan of that one when it first came out. That was one that I watched a bunch of times on VHS. Yeah, yeah. it's a good movie. It's uh, fun. Raging Bull is then released on November fourteenth. Still haven't I've seen that. Me, oh. I have not seen it either yet. Believe it or not, wow. that's a good one. On um, but. Here comes the death. But again, <laughs> on November seventh, the world got a little less cool, a lot less cool, <clears throat> when Steve McQueen, best known for the Thomas Crown Affair, The Magnificent Seven, and The Great Escape, died at fifty from surgical complications in Mexico. Wow, Mexico in the eighties—that's that's rough. <laughs> well, he was told by American doctors that his uh, tumor was inoperable, so he went to Mexico and oh. proved him right. <laughs> We uh, you forgot Bullet. I was gonna say yeah. Thomas Crown Affair, but not Bullet. Yeah, I. It was one of those things where I was, I had like three other movies listed, and, and it was one of the things I edited out because the, the tweet was getting kind of long. Well, so. that um, the Sand Pebbles and Papillon. Yeah, well, I almost put Sand Pebbles because that was in there because that, that's what he got this Oscar for. But oh, Papillon's um, good too. Man, the greatest. I, I, I had a lot more, but I had to. I, well, I mean, in all honesty, we could list off every single movie he made. Right, right. <laughs> we can keep going. 
Uh, called the King of Cool, his anti-hero persona made him a top box office draw in the 60s and 70s. And I still watch his stuff today because, hey, Steve McQueen. I was um, I, I was at a uh, Get My Coins uh, appraise the other day, and a guy walked in. He had one of Steve McQueen's motorcycles that he was trying to, trying to sell to the dude. I was like, oh, awesome. So I went out and looked at it. Well, cool. I mean, aside from just his persona, you also have the fact that Steve McQueen was one of the early car chase stars, and he did pretty much all of his own stunt driving. Oh yeah, yeah, he did. I mean, he, I mean, he raced also. He, yeah. I mean, he's one of those guys that was the guy he portrayed on screen, basically. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't he in, in the Le Mans? Hmm? He was in the Le Mans, wasn't he? Like he drove in it. He probably did. <laughs> I think he did. I mean, so. he really was like the the tough guy that he portrayed on screen. Yeah. No, uh, you know what I'm thinking of? He was in a movie called Le Mans. That could be, because uh, he's yeah. best known for driving a GTO, if I remember right. Yeah. All right. So, uh, And he once saw the man of La Mancha, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Ryan Gosling, the Greek god who walks among us mortals. What are you writing this shit, Patrick? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Just, I just write some things just because it's fun to hear you say them. Do you just write it when you're like in a tender mood? What the hell? <laughs> Ryan Gosling is a god, damn it. Have you seen him? He's well, a god. Well, he's no he's no Steve McQueen. Hey, girl. Uh, he's born in London, Ontario on November 12th. He's known for some movies like The Notebook, which I have never seen. Drive, which I have never seen. I've heard it's good, never seen it. Crazy Stupid Love, which I have never seen. And That's the TV funny. show TMMC, acronym of the week. Yeah, that's too many monkey cocks. <laughs> I love that show, man. There's <laughs> just too many. They're everywhere. You said the secret word. Uh, how, ma- how many do we have this week? Too many. <laughs> They're stroking everywhere. Uh, Read those monkey cocks. Oh, that is, of course, gentlemen. Nothing anyone? funnier than monkey cocks. I have no idea. <laughs> the Mickey Mouse Club. Ah. Uh, which M-C-K-E-Y-C. ironically also contained monkey cocks. C-O-C-K. <laughs> I reluctantly That's... must admit, maybe you guys were right about always go for the crotch joke. Yeah. So uh, the top shows on TV are Dallas, The Dukes of Hazard, 60 Minutes, and MASH. Oh, what a lineup. Yeah. Remember The Dukes of Hazard when the aliens came? No. What? Yeah. Wasn't there an alien episode? What? I think you're thinking of Dallas. <laughs> That's X-Files, Mike. All right. Vanessa Joy... <laughs> Manilo was born November 9th. She is American television host, fashion model, actress, and former Miss Teen USA. She has been a correspondent for Entertainment Tonight and hosted, is this an acronym of the week? No. no. What's TRL? Total Request Live. Oh, on MTV. Yeah, mostly known just as TRL. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, she's married to Nick Leahy, former member of 98 <laughs> Degrees. Let's whatever. He's a former member of 98 Degrees. I don't care. And uh, the ex-husband of Jessica Simpson. So now we went from... Joy to Nick to Jessica. Yep, that's what happened there. <clears throat> Great. Too many uh, monkey cocks. <laughs> Victor Senyong <laughs> was a Chinese-American character actor best known for playing Charlie Chan's number two son and the cook Hop Sing in the long-running Western show Bonanza. He died on November 9th when a gas leak from his kiln went unnoticed and unfixed. Yikes. Shit. Those deaths are always just depressing. <laughs> And we'll actually be talking a little bit about Hop Singh in a way a little bit later. What's that smell? Um, sports. On November 11th, the New York Islanders' Mike Bossy scores four goals against the Minnesota North Stars, who are so ashamed that they moved their franchise to Dallas 13 years later. Uh, <laughs> Tampa Bay Buccaneer QB Doug Williams 
completes 30 of his 55 passes for 486 yards, then the fourth highest total in NFL history on November 16th. Brother? So, so that's cool. <laughs> all right. Well, we got through that, all right. Yeah. Alien episode. <laughs> I like I like how Mike, um, if he if he started uh, to stumble on a word, he just changed it to another word that meant the same thing. That was clever. It worked. This, yeah, when he porky pigs it. <laughs> I don't. It's not like he's like being a being a being a. You know. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's a much faster porky pig. It's it's a monkey pig pig a pig a cock. Monkey pig. When he monkey pigs it. What? Okay. Okay. Let's talk about adventure. Wait, game, wait, 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 wait. I have to clarify okay, something. Talk about Dukes of Hazard. Dukes of Hazard, season seven, episode fifteen. Strange visitor to Hazard. Bo and Luke make friends with a space alien nicknamed the Visitor that stows away in the General Lee. Wow! It isn't it long late. before Boss and Roscoe find out about the Visitor and want to abduct him for fun and profit. The problem uh, is that was, that was written. That was not written by any of the main uh, oh writers. No, that's not canon. I just <laughs> clicked on a link. This thing looks weird. All right, so gosh, I just wanted to clarify that I knew that there was an alien episode of Dukes of Hazard. That's all. Have I ever mentioned to you guys my Dukes of Hazard watching experience as a child? That's a deep ass cut, Mike. Holy crap! Have have I just randomly told you guys how how I watched Dukes of Hazard as a child? No, naked, covered in butter. My parents were in a bowling league on Friday nights, and it started at eight. And so we had to leave the house at seven thirty, and the Dukes of Hazard sh- show started at seven. What the so all my yo- all my young years, I never knew how a Dukes of Hazard show ended. I only got to see the first half, and I never got watched the second half. So I always thought the Dukes were getting arrested and beaten while I was at the bowling alley. So, so you literally have seen half the episodes of Duke oh, of Hazard. Yeah, ha- I've Dukes seen the first ha- half of every Dukes of Hazard episode, but not the second half. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> on like so many levels, chat when you get a chance. Just so you can comment on this while we're still talking about it. All right. So, main show, or Adventure not. Games from Text to 3D. Um, what is that? What's what? That's stupid alien. That's funny. That's from the Dukes of Hazzard. Yeah, I know. That's thing. ridiculous. I didn't know anything about that. <laughs> of course, because he didn't show up until last 15 minutes, <laughs> last 15 minutes of the show. It's friggin' nuts. Mike, you just blew my mind, brother. No problem, dude. I'll take care of some other things later for you. Um... So anyway, then, uh, Josh, did he leave? No, I'm here. Okay, I thought he was like, I'm out. <laughs> I called into another podcast and wanted to talk about adventure games. <laughs> so adventure games. Um, back in the talk 80s. more about this alien. <clears throat> Joel, I will lay you a bet. Joel's going to bring it up at least three more times before the show's over. Interactive <laughs> fiction. bet. Uh, often abbreviated IF is software simulating environments which players use text commands to control characters and influence the environment. Now, this is very similar to the and uh, actually the MUDs that we spoke of in the uh, MMO show about 20, 30 episodes ago um, uses the same controls. Look, you know, hand, uh, pick up, that sort of thing. Where you're ty- Except actually these were usually in. on a disc. Well, these were on a whole bunch of discs. Like yeah, floppy discs. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. wasn't something that you would go online and do. No, do no, I'm just saying that the whole control scheme was the same. Gotcha. So uh, initially, like we said, the first one that I think all of us may have played, if we played any of these back then, would be the Zork series. Hmm. I'm not sure it was first. I eventually got around to it, but I think that uh, I probably jumped in later in the Sierra hmm. era, I guess. Yeah, I'm not. I, I, I'm not sure what my first one was. To be honest with you, 
I know what my first one was, and it actually it's kind of it's kind of interesting, but we'll get to it. So Infocom. My, I, I mean, I, I, my first one most likely was probably just something like that was on like a single five and a quarter inch disc, and you know I, I just bought you know my dad bought it for me or something, and was like try this out or whatever. Well, and especially back in the day, these were almost the exclusive province of the PC gamer. There were a couple that you would see uh, make their way onto uh, NES, mm-hmm. but not uh, like Maniac Mansion made it to the NES. Yeah, that was my first foray into the whole concept of a point-and-click game. Yeah, that might have been my first as well. I have a question. Would... would um uh, what what's the game? What uh, Oregon Trail? Would that classify? No, no, no. Okay, because when I was playing Zork here during the course of the week, um, it took me back to when I was in in school, and they used to have games on the computer that were like this, but it seemed like they had more graphics involved. We used to hack into them and rewrite it so it said dirty things, but. I didn't know if that classified because you, you put in text and you played, but... In general, you've got a single storyline with one or more protagonists, and in order to get to the next part of the story, there's some sort of obstacle, whether that's a person who won't let you pass, uh, a door you have to get through, a, a monster you have, you have to, to fight. Yeah, but and, and the way you figure this out is by initially, well, in the Infocom the early series when everything was text-based was a look command. Yeah, you look around, try and add items to your inventory and either use the items in some way, give the item to the person, or combine the item with another one to produce some sort of tool to get you past the puzzle. Yeah. So, and it it would be depending on who you who wrote it. I mean, cuz this I mean going from you know a really basic, you know, point, you know, use sword on, you know, goblin, you know, oh, you stab the goblin to uh, I'm trying to think of some of the more convoluted ones. I mean, there's there are times where in the, this is like the origin of the game where pick that up, we may need that later. Oh, yeah. And you get stuck. Uh, you do, uh, when you get into the graphical era, you do what they call pixel hunting. Yeah. You're going around the screen with the cursor, just clicking on everything, trying to find an object you can interact with. Yeah, and that was and that was the thing was you you have the arrow you swipe it over the top until you the arrow would turn into a finger or turn into like a hand grabbing something. Um, that was how we dated in college. Just kind of click around until you know. <laughs> yeah. So the Zork series, you have been eaten by a Gru. Uh, lights go out. That was one of the biggest things that I remember about playing the Zork series. If you ever lost your torch or the torch went out, if you lose this torch, you will most likely be eaten by a Gru. Um, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, it made it to geez, Return to Zork was the graphic one. I think that was the last one, and that was six, maybe. Yeah, I kind of think that a lot of those games survived because they were in the era before you had, like, cheats, where people would be stuck on one game for months. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I can testify that that even today, I mean, I, I, I've tried playing this game, and I don't know if I needed a manual or something, but I couldn't get past the front door. Like I got, I figured out that the, the like the in the mailbox there was the thing about the game, and then he realized I, he was standing in his front yard. And then I then I couldn't get in the door, and I couldn't. All the windows were barred, and there was nothing else really around, and it wouldn't let me do anything. So I was like, if this is how 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 does anybody get anywhere in this game? And and well, the answer to that is yes. You need a you need a manual. There's yeah, because I mean a lot of them were you know were ones that didn't even come with a manual and you just they forced you to have to just try to figure it out and if you just got stuck somewhere you just like josh said a little while ago you just got stuck because there was just no such thing as you know just looking up on the internet okay how do i beat this game or whatever you know 
So, I mean, if, if they chose to use some kind of obscure word, you know, like, you know, peruse the book instead of read the book, you know, then you're fucked. Well, they had the Internet back then, but it was on book. So <laughs> now, do you guys remember copy protection? Yes. Oh, what a nightmare. Well, I mean, copy protection ranged from uh, you, you need a manual because you have to turn to page 34. Tell me what the fourth word on the third row down is. Yeah. Oh, I forgot sort of about that one. Or those those friggin' wheels. Remember those? Oh, God. Those were a nightmare. Yeah. Those are, I mean, just complete. I mean, the copy protection now is a lot easier than that because, man, you have to copy the wheel. Uh, I think I remember that the uh, Leisure Suit Larry one, they asked questions that you um, uh, apparently only adults would know. Yeah, they did some of that. And they also did some of the answer questions from the girls' bi- uh, biographies from the manual. Yeah. There was one game I bought. It was it was a spy type game. I don't remember the name of it, but it it came with this little booklet and it came with a little red panel. And in order to you know prove that you owned the game, you'd have to like you know because everything was written in code. And when you put the red sheet over it, you could read the words. Oh yeah. And I one day I lost the red panel, so I was like, well, I guess I'm done playing that game. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite uh, games of all time, uh, The Colonel's Bequest. It was probably the first PC adventure game I bought. Their copy protection scheme was like that, where you had fingerprints for each of the suspects and a little magnifying glass with a red panel. Yep. <clears throat> I'm so glad we don't have to do that kind of stuff anymore. <laughs> well, you can. I found out you can. Zork. Damn it. Well, Joel, don't feel bad. Um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's one... It's a uh, Douglas Adams, a game based out after a Douglas Adams book, um, known for being incredibly difficult because it's so convoluted on the things that you have to do. I mean, a lot <laughs> of it is basically you're just doing uh, what you have. Basically, you're doing what happens in the book. But uh, the one that was most notorious was the ba- the Babblefish. Oh yeah, having to get the Babblefish out of the dispenser in the Vogon ship, and then it would be able to translate. Then you can be- understand the Vogon language. Uh, as if you've read the book, some hope, you know, sure, a lot of you out there have, you know, this happens pretty early on, but, um, you had to solve it in a limited amount of turns. So if you didn't solve the Babblefish puzzle, you didn't die, but the game then became unwinnable as you couldn't understand what anybody was saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now, and this was so tough, that puzzle became difficult that Infocom wound up selling shirts that said, I got the Babelfish. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So is that, that's where Google got the translator or Alta, is it a Vista? One of the, the search engines has a Babelfish translator that translates languages for you online. Yeah. That, that's, that's where the Babelfish idea the huh. phrase comes from. Yeah. More from the, the books than the games, but right. obviously in both. Yeah, but uh, Infocom, very popular in time for the text-based games, had such things as also the Leather Goddesses of Phobos, a scratch-and-sniff adventure. Pat, did you like that one? <laughs> as many times as I could. <laughs> uh, now, if I remember correctly, this one in the manual, you actually had like little scratch-off spots on it. Seriously? I think so. I never played these. Like I, I saw them in the stores, but I, I don't think I played this one or Leather Goddesses, too. Yeah, yeah, I never played it myself. No, then uh, later on, Infocom started doing graphic games, so there was Return to Zork, which was that uh, graphics that kind of look like they're made out of Legos. Yeah, it's like, it's like the the uh, Doom type of graphics. No, even less than that. Yeah, way worse. Yeah, just I mean, look up, just look up Return to Zork graphics on uh, on there. Right. Also, uh, apparently, Leather Goddesses was so good it um, 
Needed another one, Leather Goddess is a Phobos 2, Gas Pump Girls Meet the Pulsating Inconvenience from Planet X. As you do. Oh, yeah, you totally do. I mean, because, yeah, pulsating and stuff. So we want to talk about LucasArts next. Yeah. Yeah, because really in this era, like some of the biggest games, you're, you're talking were either all Sierra or LucasArts. Yeah, back when LucasArts made good games. <laughs> I mean, back when, wait, back when LucasArts still existed, uh, isn't it shut down now? No, I think it's still a thing. It okay. just is basically all Star Wars all the time. I mean, the upcoming uh, Star Wars Battlefront, I think, is a LucasArts project. Oh, okay. But I think LucasArts as a software company has been gone for a little while. Yeah. Uh, LucasArts uh, at the time gave us some great, uh, like Josh and I talked about Maniac Mansion. Uh, mm-hmm. was uh, on PC, was also on Super uh, regular Nintendo, NES. Um, you're almost like uh, Clue, the movie. Bunch of people trapped in a house trying to figure out how to get out, what's going on, solve the mystery, get out of the house. Um, Maniac Mansion was kind of unique because you could, uh, I believe you had three kids that you could send into the house at a given time, and you could switch between them and put them in different areas of the house. Mm-hmm. You could juggle, like, send somebody upstairs. They all had different abilities, too. Mm-hmm. So you had the nerd. You had, I think, the nerd, the junk, jock, and there was the punk rock girl. Yep. So It was also one of the very few games uh, in this genre to ever get in trouble for uh, content and have to be censored. What? For what? Yeah. Why you could take this? the pet hamster of one of the characters in the mansion, put it in the microwave, and turn the microwave on, and it would pop. <laughs> And, and everybody that, got worked up about that? Yep. And uh, in later printings of the game, and I believe in the NES version, you could not do that. Huh. This is America. If I want to pop a hamster, I have that right. <laughs> I'm just going to let let that sink in. <laughs> also, um, Night, of the Tent- freedoms. <laughs> Night of the Tentacle. Yeah, many years later, they did the sequel to Maniac Mansion, where you only had three kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the fat roadie guy, long black hair, like no eyes practically, like lost in his hair, big nose. Uh, you had the nerd again. I think the nerd was Bernard again from the first game. Yeah, he came back. And then you had like this weird lanky girl with braces who was just kind of a weirdo, if I remember been so long i mean the thing that i always remember from that is is a tentacle itself is they're being mm-hmm. pursued through the house by one solo one single tentacle yep purple tentacle yeah. purple was the evil one and if i remember it right it was green who was actually trying to help you yeah the green tentacle was a good guy and the purple one was a bad guy so they chased you around the house you know and again uh, it's that whole uh, you know, pixel hunting on there oh well you know what i can pick up this spool of white thread Mm-hmm. I don't know why I need it, but I can pick it up. Uh, and then you like you, you have to imagine your character is walking around with a knapsack full of all these random things because he's not showing it on the screen. Right. Yeah. Oh, and then Night of the Tentacle it went to some weird places because they started uh, doing time travel stuff. So you end up going like to the colonial period and Purple Tentacles wearing a powdered wig and a tricorn hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? It's, it's a yeah. great game. A lot of the LucasArts games uh, doubled down on the comedy. Uh, and one of their biggest series of all time, you've got Monkey Island. Yes, this is the, a huge favorite in my house. Oh, I'm sure. You've got the the trials of Guybrush Threepwood, who is not a very good pirate. Nope. And uh, he is being chased by, what is the, LeChuck. Oh, yeah. LeChuck the pirate and uh, his wife, Elaine Marley. Um, that's, uh, well, I don't think they're married initially. It's not until I think Escape from Monkey Island where they 
Uh, I believe that's correct. Yeah. So um, my girls have played this on PS2. It actually, I still have it on the disc. Um, and it's it's takes the weirdness to, to completely new levels on this one. Because it's, I mean, for as weird as the uh, Night of the Tentacle was, this one was that my girls have played through every single Monkey Island game that's out there. Nice. All the old ones, all the new ones, to the point where I would be at work and I would get a phone call, you know, Mike, pick up the phone. Okay, pick it up. Hello? Daddy, you put the pulley on the rubber chicken, and that's how you get across the gorge. And I was just like, awesome. You guys figured <laughs> that out. I would come home, and they would be sitting together on the couch, and they would have notes, taking notes on everything that they found. So the two of them, in a, in a rare case of organization and not trying to kill each other, have managed to play through every single Monkey Island game. Nice. So good stuff. But uh, v- funny, got a great sense of humor to it, and it's very, um, if you're looking for... Like, just like I said, if you're looking for a game that makes your kids actually think, Monkey Island's a, a really good one to bring them into. And it really is PG, unlike Airplane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, also, Indiana Jones had his uh, appearance at LucasArts also. Uh, the, the Indiana Jones and the Legend of Atlantis and Indian, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, I have both of these on Steam. There was a sale a few years ago where you can get, like, you can got a bunch of, I think, Indiana Jones, Loom, The Dig... And like a couple other of these type type games for like two dollars. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I got a lot of these. Uh, Lucas Arts used to do a pack where you would have the discs. Uh, I want to say they were called Lucas Arts Treasures, mm-hmm. and they would have like eight games in one one box. That's how I ended up with like three copies of Sam and Max. Jeez, because it was featured in two different treasure sets, and when it first came, I bought it. Yeah, Sam and Max is another great one. Uh, a Let's see. Is it Sam or Max who's a dog? Sam, right? Uh, yeah, he is a uh, canine Seamus, and uh, then uh, Max is a hyperkinetic rabbity thing. Yep. Was that a comic book first or a game oh, first? Or neither? I'm not sure. I think Steve Purcell did the comic strips before he did the game, but we're talking by a matter of months. Yeah, it. It. I believe it was a comic before it was before yeah. it became a game. But it wasn't like, this is a popular comic that's been around for years, and now it's a game. Sort of the comics and the games fed off of each other. Cool. I've never that. played that game, but I remember like watching you play it, and it was very entertaining. Oh, yeah. It's good stuff. And I, it. I mean, it's yeah. another one of those weird, I mean, well, yeah, really weird humor, because I think Max is like complete and utter uh, like psychopath. And there's actually a line from that game that I use fairly frequently. Press start. uh, whenever somebody just says something kind of like strange or weird or whatever you well that was oddly or that was needlessly cryptic yep that is from sam and max hit the road and that's a quote (laughs) i still use to this day as well now Uh, then you've got grim fandango which may be the most intelligently written and creative game just from concept well, it's, this. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Keep I going. was going to say it's Mexican Day of the Dead, but in the afterlife, you've got Manny Calavera, who is a travel agent, and his whole job is to sell packages to uh, souls on their journey through the afterlife based on how good they performed in life. If they were a good person, they get an upgrade to their package. The thing is, is he discovers that people who are really good are getting shunted onto these terrible, like, uh, bargain basement packages when they should qualify for the best in these awful, terrible sinners. 
uh, did terrible things in their life are getting like the top tier packages. So he decides that he's going to investigate himself and it turns into this like Casablanca meets uh, the afterworld. Everybody's dead. Everybody's a skeleton. The writing is just so good. Hmm. Partly uh, Tim Schafer. Oh, sure. Who um, you may know him now from uh, the game, the game company Double Fine, which made such stuff as uh, Psychonauts or Brutal Legend. Um, and, and a title we'll be talking about in the second half of the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, he um, he had, was actually really involved with a lot of stuff that LucasArts does. In fact, if you look at his his credits, like Maniac Mansion, he's a uh, he was a programmer on that. He was a co-writer on Secret of Monkey Island. And uh, Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge. He was a co-designer, co-producer, co-director, and co-writer on Day of the Tentacle. Um, one we're going to talk about later is Full Throttle. He was a project leader on that. And strangely enough, on Star Wars, Star Wars Shadow of the, of the Empire, it says, never actively tried to sabotage the project. <laughs> so I guess there's, some, there, there's more story behind that because there's footnotes. <laughs> we can probably talk about Full Throttle now because this yeah. is one that everyone hoped there would be a sequel for. And this was, I guess, is the best, closest thing to a heavy metal uh, point-and-click game you can get. Well, I I would also almost call it like Sons of Anarchy, the adventure game, back yeah. in the 90s. Yeah. Because you had a tough-as-nails biker. There were some uh, action scenes, if I recall, on the bike. Yeah, I think there was some driving. There was some driving stuff. Um, the characters is Ben, uh, voiced by Roy Conrad, and also uh, Adrian Ripberger. Uh, voiced by Mark Hamill. That sounds delicious. <laughs> I'll have that. <laughs> but uh, but no, it's a um, uh, maybe even more like psychobilly type motorcycle game. I mean, it's again, it's that interactive. Pick it up, use this here, uh, carry this along. It's actually set in 2040. Yeah, but it was unusually violent for a uh, adventure game, which I think. It's- People thought it was cool. You had a real tough guy who was like using weapons and beating people up and mm-hmm. not something you always saw in this sort of game. Yeah. Well, in this one, you play uh, the but, leader. But of something a... you saw all the time if you were a biker. <clears throat> yes. <True. laughs> right. Yeah. So you you um you actually play the biker gang leader who's trying to save his the members of his gang, the polecats, after they've been falsely ac- accused of a murder. So it's very much a revenge story, and uh, you know he's uh, trying to clear the name of his of his friends in the gang. I guess you know. So, but it's been a long time since I've played this. This one came out in 1995. Oh yeah. Oh crud, Josh, keep talking. I, there's one I have to. I quickly have to figure out the name for. <laughs> well, uh, LucasArts is also known for some other titles that were not as big. Uh, the Dig actually uh, had a lot of hype behind it because of. The top tier writing staff, but it really didn't go anywhere. Um, I, I remember that it was uh, you were on a uncharted planet digging into this unusual uh, below the surface civilization. Uh, it was all right, uh, not too memorable. Even though this this is uh, a big part. This and fighting games were my jam in the nineties. Uh, same thing with like Loom, Zach McCracken, uh, Labyrinth. Like I remember playing them, but uh, they didn't stick in memory. But if you weren't playing LucasArts games, you were probably playing Sierra games. Oh, you're getting into Pat's territory, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, you've got the three big quest series: King's Quest, which oh, was boy. the 
fantasy fairy tale adventure game uh, series that just kept spawning sequel after sequel after sequel. Had <laughs> the same kind of uh, sense of humor that you'd find in both Sierra and LucasArts titles. Uh, space Quest, where you start as a janitor on a spaceship who uh, bumbles his way through various adventures. Uh, I th- this seemed to be a uh, thing in adventure games. Usually, if you were a hero, you weren't like ultimate badass. You were like terminal screw up who uh, bumbles their way into a comedy adventure and manages to come out on top. That's it's, a, it's a lot funnier watching the everyday, you know, Mr. Bean type guy try to save the universe than it is watching Arnold Schwarzenegger try to save the universe. Right. Yeah. One of my uh, first ones, I, I my first PC, I purchased uh, one Sierra game with it and it had a, a Space Quest 4 already installed on it. And the guy who uh, sold, I think we got a demo unit from... The store. I can't even remember what store it was. It was one of those electronic stores that was only around for a couple of years. And he left Space Quest Four on there for me. Oh, cool. All right. I found I found the game I was trying to remember. Toonstruck. Toonstruck? Yes. Have you ever played it? Uh, yeah, it's familiar. Virgin Interactive came out in... Uh, is, that, is that the one that starred Undead Share? I, I don't even know how you got there Moon, from that. Moonstruck. Toonstruck. Oh, no. Toon, as in cartoon. Toon. Oh damn! Never mind. Yeah. Scratch, fix that in post. Would you? Okay, I'll, yeah, I'll do that. All right. Um, the the <laughs> cool thing about this one is it's a story about a animator who gets sucked into his own cartoons that are being turned nefarious by the nefarious Ray, uh, who is what is being run by Count Nefarious. So yeah, that sounds so up your alley. Well, I loved it. I still have it on disc somewhere, uh, somewhere around one of the cases. Um, How did no one one know he was up to no good with that name? Well, there's a twist. Everybody's like, he's got to be a nice guy. Look at his name. But here's here's the awesome thing about this. The main character, Drew Blank, was played by Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Who was animated, who they actually brought him into it. So it's like you've got a a Roger Rabbit style. He's walking around with these cartoons. Also in it, Dan Castanella, Tim Curry, David Ogden Steers, Tress McNeil, um, Don DeLuise, Ben Stein, had a huge list of... uh, I don't know any of those people. (laughs) Jim Cummings. Frank Frank Welker. Frank Welker, Rob Paulson. Oh, Frank! Yeah. I revu raggy. So, but uh, there's it's it's exactly the same. It's like the adventure game point and click type thing, but it's got this great voice acting in this one. Um, Was that like one of the first ones to draw a, a list like that? Well, Virgin Interactive did this, and not all their games were good. Like Hell, a cyberpunk thriller, I think was also Virgin, and it had uh, an all star cast. Dennis Hopper was like the devil. I owned it. It wasn't very good. Yeah, this one was this one was good. This had the exact um that twist, like twisted type of thing that I in, that I enjoy. They also did um is it the the seventh guest? I I thought seventh guest was was seventh guest them or was it Sierra? Uh it's Virgin and Trilobite. I just looked it up. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and also the other one that they did that I, I actually you can get for free on uh, good old games uh, gog dot com is Beneath a Steel Sky. Oh, okay. I remember that one. Yeah, that was kind of the um, uh, zeppelins flying around type of uh, alternate history type one. So they didn't do "I Have No Mouth Yet I Must Scream," did they? I don't think so. But that's a really. I mean, that. Ooh, here I've got the list here. Let me take a look. But. Um, 
while you're looking nope. it up, I'm going to go back to Sierra because it's yeah. it's too big a topic to just like leave behind in the dirt. Oh yeah. Um, uh, in addition to King's Quest and Space Quest, you had Police Quest, which <laughs> uh, starts very uh, similar to the other ones. Although usually you're just doing cop stuff. Sometimes you're hanging out at a bar with other cops. Um, as the games go on, they try to get some of the puzzles to be you're supposed to act according to procedure. Right. I I I love the Police Quest series. When I was younger, I played every single one of them, all the way up to when the the one that had Daryl Gates on the cover and everything. And they kind of disappeared after that when he got the whole Rodney King trial came out and he got lambasted. Yeah. So Police Quest kind of like went faded away. They're like, okay, never mind. We chose the wrong corner. It's like the football game that chose OJ as their spokesman. But like uh-huh. that last police <laughs> quest had uh, motion cap digitized actors mm-hmm. playing the various suspects and characters. Uh, I remember there were digitized photos of the murder victims. They were yeah, actually it was, pretty it was graphic. a lot more realistic, a lot more realistic. Yeah, because the very first one was so badly pixelated. I remember driving around uh, the map, and your car was literally like 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 six pixels long, and the middle one was blue, and the other ones were white. <laughs> and then when you would chase somebody down, like the the blue one would turn red, then back to blue. Then red, then back to blue. That was, and you just you just you moved around the four directions with your direction pad. That was how you drove. Whenever you took a corner, it was like an immediate ninety degree turn. <laughs> now I mentioned that uh, Space Quest was already included on my first PC, but the first PC game I ever purchased was in the Laura Bow series. It was a game called The Colonel's Bequest. Ah, hmm. still, uh, it's got to be in my top three or four games of any genre of all time. That was uh, a good game. Yeah, I mean, you've got a uh, old uh, plantation manor uh, down in Louisiana, uh, and a lot of the stock characters you would find in a classic murder mystery. And uh, you're playing the plucky journalism student, Laura Bow. And uh, you're there with your friend Lillian and the characters start getting knocked off after the colonel reads his will. And you can play through multiple times, especially once you realize that there are secret passages that allow you to look through the eyes of various paintings and watch different scenes of uh, different characters interacting when they don't know you're watching them. And uh, there are all these mini stories that are unconnected or semi-connected to the murder as you're trying to figure it out. I just loved that game so much. And Fifi. Fifi the maid. Mm. Jeeves the butler. Now, you know, I tried playing King's Quest and Police Quest this week. And um, uh, Police Quest, I had no idea what the hell was going on. Um, That's because you're not uh, a cop, man. I know, right? Start from the beginning. You got to be a cop. You got to immerse yourself. It's like method copping. (laughs) I don't think that's a real thing. Um, I'm afraid it might be. (laughs) King's Quest, I I played, I got pretty, I mean, I thought I did pretty well. I drowned a lot. But (laughs) then I got frustrated. I thought I did well. I drowned a lot. I I wanted to get the egg in the tree. And it took me forever. (laughs) I kept falling out of the damn tree. And then when I finally got the egg, I'm like, what did it do? It didn't do anything. And then I couldn't get out of the tree. So I had to fall out to get out. And then... Some fairy gave me like invincible powers for like hey, two screens. They're called homosexuals. And then, <laughs> and then uh, I couldn't let the goat out of the pen. I really wanted to let him out. I wanted him to run free, and he wouldn't go anywhere. He's a you goat. Know, out of context, that entire statement would have gotten you arrested. 
<laughs> so anyway, this fairy that's, gave me some powers. You're coming with me, man. <laughs> all that needs to be written up on a police blotter somewhere. <laughs> Another one oh. by Sierra was uh, Phantasmagoria. Which yeah, played. that's much later in their uh, catalog. Yeah, this one, though, was actually the first one to have some sort of controversy to it because it was so gory. It, well, to the name, it was much gorier than uh, any of the other stuff people had seen before. In fact, one of the game stores refused to carry it. Sure, because any of the ways you were playing uh, another female protagonist and uh, all of the death screens were exceptionally like you'd fall into a death trap where uh, an axe would swing towards your character's head and there'd be full motion video digitized of her taking the axe directly in the head just split her head yeah people have a problem with it <laughs> well the, the rape scene was also an issue for people too so Whoa. yeah it was it was pretty I mean you can still find it. I mean I think I even think it's back on Steam again. It's out there now. So but um Leisure Suit Larry. Yeah. Uh, these were interesting because the first Leisure Suit Larry I think was originally called uh soft porn. Uh, yeah, soft porn. And you're playing Larry Laffer, this uh, guy that, uh, despite the 70s being over, still wandering around in a white leisure suit, gold chain, big collar shirt. And he's just trying to get laid. And he's a dork and he's a loser. But uh, your your whole goal is to get him through the game and help him get the girl. Yep. And uh, later on, you play Larry. You go from Larry Laffer to Larry Lovage. When- yeah, that, that was weird. I never, I, I guess I never realized that. I only played the first couple, though. Well, Larry Lovage came out, uh, was, here we go. Leisure Suit Larry Magna Cum Lauda. Oh, yeah. That's more than now. Yeah, that's, that's like PS2. 2004, 2009. And that was actually, I think, his nephew. Right. Yeah. So, um, you but, also didn't only control uh, Larry throughout the series. Eventually, you ended up controlling the girl he gets, I want to say, in three, Passionate Patty. Yep. And then four was Leisure Suit Larry, Passionate Patty in Pursuit of the Pulsating Pectorals. I remember this because uh, one summer I uh, agreed to do chores all summer so I could get the Leisure Suit Larry four pack that had all of them at the time. Who are you doing these chores for? I, my, my dad, I was, oh. this would have been the year between high school and college, I think, that's, oh, okay. that summer. Well, that, that makes, I thought, I mean, I was thinking like 10. No, I mean, I mostly was an NES guy throughout high school, and then everything changed when I got the first PC. Yeah. It's either my junior year of high school or right after graduation. Yeah. So, but yeah, but the, the, the main theme of pretty much every single one of these games is Larry's trying to get laid. Mm-hmm. Yep. And... You're looking for, uh, there's actually one, uh, Leisure Suit Larry 4, The Missing Floppies, that was never released. Mm-hmm. That's Along- right. Five was Passionate. <coughs> I'm sorry. Five yeah. was Passionate Patty. Yeah. There's also, uh, he always gets choked up talking about Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> I shouldn't vape right before I'm about to. <laughs> Leisure Suit Larry Pocket Party. Now, how, how canceled could this game be? Because not only was it a Leisure Suit Larry portable game, it was supposed to be released on the N Gauge. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Um, it's just terrible game. I mean, it, it, where they went from like, I want to say the first three, four were at least witty. Yeah. The, yeah. First, one, the first one was pretty funny. Yeah. 
The graphics were crap, but it was funny. Yeah, there was. The, a, I mean, the writing was solid, but the graphics were awful. I replayed through five not so long ago, and what surprised me about it is uh, fairly early on in the game, it takes a fairly racist twist, like to the point where Passionate Patty is using shoe polish to give herself blackface so she can get into a rap (laughs) studio. I am not joking. He's not kidding. That's awesome. There's like a rap radio station called K-Rap. Oh, that is so... (laughs) And I was like... So inappropriate. Wow, why did I think this was awesome? Whoa, I don't. I, I guess I didn't get that. I, yeah, I only played the first couple, so I didn't get to that one. Wow. And it doesn't even have, like, uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about Freddy Farkas, because I think all of us played this one. Yeah, again, that was another one that we played on your computer in college. Yep. Yeah, Freddy Farkas, Frontier Pharmacist. We used, to, we used to play that, like, there'd be five or six of us at a time sitting around just watching, because that was, that was fun. Well, for yeah, fun. that the and uh, Scorched Earth. And- Hmm? We yeah, five or six of us sitting around playing this and Scorched Earth. Oh, yep. I forgot about that game. Oh, it's, man. So a- Freddy Farkas is a Western, except they twist everything about it. You, you got a guy who was a, once a great gunfighter, but lost his ear in the gunfight in, in the opening song uh, and decides that he's going to go to pharmacology uh, college and become a great pharmacist. <laughs> and uh, he heads to Coarse Gold, California, and he's got uh, an Indian sidekick. Only his Indian sidekick is Srini, who is actually from India, but he still wears a feather. And you've got all of these different, like, uh, parody characters. The uh, Doc Dizzy Gillespie, the drunken town doctor, Whitley, uh, the cafe owner, Helen Back. And her uh, stereotypical Chinese chef, Hop Along Sing. <laughs> I said we'd be talking about Hop Sing again. Yep. And uh, there, this is another one of those games that I actually use a quote from on a regular basis. Like whenever something good happens or like I make money or something or whatever, kind of like a funny I, I was, score. that's right every time you gain points for uh completing an objective or sometimes you could get points for doing things that didn't advance the story but uh it's you thought of this so we're giving you a point yep is that where that came from (laughs) yep Yep. wow i don't don't know how well this is gonna work because i'm trusting uh, youtube again but Uh oh here we go now google fire phone that's what i was about to say Born in old St. Louis, by the age of four, Dad knew he was the best little crack shot the West had ever seen. By the time he reached pubescence, he could outshoot all the adolescents west of Durango and north of Abilene. We were much simpler then. I remember (laughs) that. Eddie Farkas. I remember word for word. I remember that. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, because I think at the time I didn't have the CD-ROM version. So they had a follow the bouncing ball and we were <laughs> singing the theme song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, the, and then your RA is walking past the door. Me. Well, that. <laughs> no, it's best I not go in. <laughs> There's like seven of them all in, their, all in one room singing the Freddie Farkas song. Uh, that's, before a, that's a we, fun game. 
Before we stop talking about CR, there's two more big series. I'm not going to spend too long talking about Quest for Glory, aside from the fact that it is, it's got some RPG elements where you choose a class and depending on which class you take, whether you're mage, thief, or fighter, you've got slightly different encounters. You can like go to the thieves guild if you're a thief. Your combat works different. So there's another layer there that was kind of interesting, and I, I thought it was reflected in the writing that you'd have different elements. It would feel like a different game depending on your uh, the class you selected to play. Yeah. And then you've got the Gabriel Knight series. Now, the first game, uh, Gabriel Knight, uh, was Sins of the Fathers first or was Sins of the Fathers the second one? I think that was the second one. Gabriel Knight, uh, the, was. I think the first one was just straight up Gabriel Knight. Yeah, because Gabriel Knight is a character in New Orleans, owns a bookstore, uh, is voiced again by Tim Curry. Uh, and uh, he is descended from a long line of supernatural hunters. Uh, let's see. They made a bunch of these. Yeah. Oh, Sins of the Fathers was the first one. The second was one was okay. The Beast Within, and the third one was Blood of the Sacred, Blood of the Damned. Yeah, these were uh, created by Jane Jensen. Uh, it's one of the few big series that was not created by Ken and Roberta Williams. Daughter Judy. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you basically had the, uh, the Williams, uh, Allo, or Jane Jensen. And uh, Jane also worked on the uh, later King's Quest games. Uh, this came out in 1993, so just as Joel and I started college with you guys. And, uh, yeah, each day uh, you had certain actions you would perform to uh, get through the supernaturally charged mystery in the first one. Um, he's a, a, a in private investigator, bookstore owner, horror novelist, and he is investigating a series of homicides that are called the Voodoo Murders. An all around great guy. Yeah, he was, I, a, pretty, I, he was a pretty good character. He was a fun character. <laughs> yeah, and I, I liked his style. The whole like jeans, white t shirt, uh, leather tr- uh, or uh, long black trench coat, and always a quip. He always had a quip for anyone that needed some, some kind yeah. of stuff. yeah, yeah. Uh, this this is another one where they brought out uh, big talent, even from the first game. Like I already said, Tim Curry plays Gabriel, but uh, Mosley, the police captain, Mark Hamill, uh, Leah Ramini, Ephraim Zimbalis Jr., uh, Michael Dorn. Nice. So also past this, uh, should we get into a little Broderbun before we... Uh... Yeah, we can talk about uh, the Broderbun games because they're not traditional uh, graphical adventures in the way we've been talking about them. They're almost gr- graphical puzzle games. Yeah, that's a better way. Oh, well, what's the what's the, the meme online? Mist or otherwise known as what the hell does this lever do? I've been in this room for six hours. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. It's oh. like one of the most frustrating games I ever played in my life. Yeah. Here you yeah, are. There, and- there's a very, very high level of... of- reward though because whenever you did figure something out <laughs> you're like yes i just discovered fusion that reactors i mean it just felt like a genius every time you solved anything in that fucking game and i remember when this came out it was myself and you guys remember spud yep yeah of course i was gonna i was gonna bring him up <laughs> i was gonna say spud and i sat down and we played through mist and until we beat it yeah i, I remember you guys doing that i never beat it no i well the game i never beat that game <laughs> yep <laughs> So, and then that was followed up by uh, Riven, 
the sequel, yeah. Yeah, which, uh, again, it's more of the same. But, again, it doesn't really fall into the... I mean, it, there is a story, but it seems like the ones that were previous to that had more character. So I'd agree with that. I mean, we could go on and on about these games. There are a ton of them. Codename Iceman, uh, Tears of the Dragon. Oh, Codename Iceman. I forgot about that one. I loved that one. I uh, got that s- one had a really bad uh, parser where you had to click. Uh, you had to type specifically the weird wording uh-huh. in order that to get through. That was a very frustrating game to play because there were a lot of things. If you didn't do right, it fucked the whole game up. I got lost once for like literally months trying to uh, trying to do a scuba mission. Yes, where, that's where, exactly like, what I was talking about. Yeah, if if you went the wrong way, you would just go forever. And if you didn't uh, specifically type uh, the words, it, it was like obvious what you're trying to do, but the wording of the command, which could allow you to like, I, I think it was just putting on the scuba gear. Uh, it, it just like wouldn't let you do it. And and if you didn't do them in the correct order, you know, and you had like a limited amount of time, and like I said, if you took the wrong turn, then you weren't going to make it. That was all there was to it. You had no wiggle room at all for that one. It was a, that was a tough game. Yeah, pretty masochistic people that made these things, really. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right, you guys want to take a break? Yeah. Otherwise, this episode's going to be like three hours. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we'll take a break, and we will be right back. Yeah, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, pretty much the resurgence of this type of game. Telltale, Datalik. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Cool. Datalik. Hello. Welcome back to part two. Of now, the adventure game show. Our topic, adventure games, it's weird because like our break point is in the 2000s and right around the year 2000, every single year you would hear articles that talk about how the point and click adventure game was dead. It, I think because I'm going to go out on a limb and just say Halo. Because well, that, first person shooters, in general. yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. thinking, yeah, the first person shooter because Halo One was originally supposed to have come out on Apple years ago, and it had been this game that was supposed to have been released it was this legendary thing, and finally it was released, and it was actually pretty damn good and got a little bit of a following as uh, Halo Five just got released like a week or so ago. Um, I think you also started to have splintering of the audience, like getting into other genres. In addition to first-person shooters becoming a thing uh, on the consoles, like you say, with Halo and on uh, the PC with Half-Life. And then uh, MMORPGs became big around the same time. Mm-hmm. And you've got everyone like searching for the next big thing. And yeah, adventure games, uh, especially because the internet was getting to the point where if you wanted, if you got stuck, you'd turn to an FAQ or an, a game guide and you'd get through the spot you were stuck and you could finish one of these games very quickly. Like drop your 50 bucks and be done in 10 hours. Which is kind of upsetting because one of the one of the great things about the point and click adventure games is just like like Pat said with uh, Mist, when you figure something out, you feel like you've actually accomplished something. Yeah, there were a few exceptions. You've got the Broken Sword series, and I'm jumping to later in the notes, but the Broken Sword, well, the first couple were actually released in this kind of dark age period, and they even made their way to. Uh, like Game Boy Advance. Yep, I've got the GBA version of it. Yeah, I've got it on my phone right now, uh, the most recent one, where th- there are these series of like adventure games based in modern day 
all about like Templar conspiracies and lost ruins. You've got like a, this a French girl, a plucky French girl and this American guy. And they've got this off on again, off again relationship. And you switch between the two of them. Uh, they're solid, like mystery thriller action adventure games. But uh, one thing that came out of the ashes uh, is what happened when a team that was supposed to be working on a sequel to something we talked about in the first half. We had uh, Sam and Max hit the road. Well, there was a sequel planned called Sam and Max Freelance Police. Uh, three LucasArts employees, Dan Connors, Kevin Bruner, and Troy Molander, uh, their game got canceled out from under them. And they decided that uh, they were going to pursue the license and continue to make the game. And they were going to launch a little company known as Telltale Games. Yep. And Telltale uh, then winds up creating, they're like, well, that one won pretty well. Maybe yeah. we should make another one. <laughs> well, And they started doing a bunch of licensed ones. They, they started with like Telltale Texas Hold'em. And then uh, they did a series of games based on Jeff Smith's uh, Bone comics. Yeah, that's a, you can get those on Steam. Yeah, and you can also uh, get, they also licensed uh, uh, CSI and did a bunch of those. Hmm, and once they finally got the rights to Sam and Max, uh, they, they weren't able to get uh, the rights to their incomplete freelance police. So they went straight to Steve Purcell and said, hey, how about we just do new Sam and Max adventures? And this is when they debuted their whole concept of these seasons of episodic adventure games. Each episode would be like an hour and a half to two hours. You'd play through the episode and it would establish some gags, some characters, and an overarching plot for the season. And you could buy the seasons, uh, either buy the episode for like five, ten bucks an episode, or you could slap down your money uh, at a discount for the entire season. And as the episodes released, you could play them, and there'd be like six six per season. Yeah, I like this. Uh, Sam and Max, there was a Culture Shock, Situation Comedy, The Mole, The Mob, and The Meatball, Abe Lincoln Must Die, and Reality <laughs> 2.0. Too and soon. The, yeah, and The Bright Side of the Moon. Um, this, Pat, I think, you know, honestly, like you were saying during the break, uh, you have this, fi- this failure and this and an inability to commit, and you think you, you're blaming... Uh, uh, Duke's a hazard on it. Uh, so this actually would probably be a great way for you to play him because you get this, you know, episode one, like Josh said, it's an hour, hour and a half, just enough to get your fix. Then you go on to the next one. And there was a good release. There was a good span of time. I want to say maybe three months between release. Well, the Sam and Max uh, was really tight on the release for season one. It was like once a month. Oh, and okay. I think they set themselves up for criticism because later they weren't able to get an episode out every month. Yeah. And, uh, but they moved on to other LucasArts properties. They got the rights to do more, uh, Tales of Monkey Island. Yes. Tales of Monkey Island. Um, this is, this is another one. This is the one that I had said that I have, uh, stashed on, uh, my PS3. Has not gone anywhere because it's been played several times. Uh, one of the other cool things that they did in this is make them full 3D. So your character is no longer a two-dimensional uh, sprite walking around, but it's a 3D animated figure on the screen. Um, this one came out with the st- first one is the launch of the Screaming Narwhal, uh, mm-hmm. where uh, um, 
let let's see. They're this is kind of cool because in this one, they're fighting LeChuck and manage to turn him back into a human. Yeah. So they're trying to figure out how what what's be what's become of LeChuck because Elaine disappears also, and then Guybrush Threepwood winds up on a island where all the winds blow inward from every direction, so you can't get out on a boat. So he's trying to le- escape this island, and of course there's this. All sorts of ridiculous characters, including like a newspaper reporter for the island, and um, eventually you wind up on uh, like an Inca temple later on. Uh, and there's also the voodoo voodoo priestess, and it's just a great uh, like the episodic steps goes from one to one to two to three. There's a great storyline in this one. And for these beginning uh, properties for Telltale, they stuck with comedy. They licensed Wallace and Gromit uh, for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have a Homestar Runner, Strong Baths, Cool Game for Attractive People. Yep. And that one got released on the Nintendo Wii U Play Store as well. And then something changed. They started working on a little game that originally was called The Zombie Prototype. And uh, it became a licensed project that happened at about the same time as the show is about to start, based on Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead, which a few people might be familiar with now. Mm-hmm. I think I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. And th- The Walking Dead was a game changer, uh, just for adventure games in general. Uh, it was set in a Kirkman's universe. You could run into certain characters uh, briefly, uh, you are running with Glenn. You go to uh, the farmhouse where uh, oh, I'm just blanking. Yeah, I Sophia. Oh, no, well, what's what's the guy? Uh, the guy who was the farmer, who was Sophia's father. Not no, not Sophia. Sophia. Uh, Sophia was Carol's daughter. You're talking about Herschel. Yes, Herschel. Yeah, yeah. you go to Herschel's farm yep. in season one, which is where Sophia ends up. Yes. Spoiler. Yeah, and Herschel really doesn't. Well, dep- again, here's here's something else that they introduced. I want to say it was in the Sam, originally in the Sam and Max ones, but it plays out a lot stronger in the Walking Dead games. While you're playing, it gives you choices of things to say. One of the things that you have four different choices. Many of the times, it's one of them would be silence, not saying anything, but it's timed. So you have to think about what you're going to say and figure it out before the timer runs out, or it you you get a, a, a awkward an awkward event happens you know but when you say things occasionally on the screen it'll pop up where clementine will remember that you said that yeah where the game branches off and people's personalities and reactions to you change as you uh as you go through the story so if you one of the things you ha- i discovered in this one is if you start lying about something you better keep that lie straight well, yeah, and you will get to the spot where uh, Walking Dead was another one that really hit there. Next time on The Walking Dead, they will show you a trailer for what the next episode is going to have in it. And almost always you will see a consequence for a decision you made in the current episode in the trailer for the next one. Mm-hmm. It was an incredibly strong device to get you to like want to play, find out what was going to happen to Lee and Clementine Yeah, next. And the thing is, they, the way this, these stories are written, I mean, they were written well in the back then. They were good stories, a lot of fun. I, I've played it a couple times where I actually managed to kill Clementine. Hmm. I got real upset. You know, you make some, you make some errors, you do things wrong, and you wind up killing a character that you really like, and it don't care if you've been playing that thing for three hours. Well, screw this, I'm restarting. <laughs> I, I was pretty sure if Clementine died, uh, 
it was game over. So oh, yeah. you're saying you just get attached to the characters because it's so well done. Oh, yeah. Well, and Clementine is very specifically written to uh, get sort of uh, paternal or maternal feelings towards the character. She's very well written. And it's the reason why The Walking Dead Season 1 got uh, Game of the Year. And mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, what the heck is this? This isn't even a game. This is like a movie with choices. And they were mad because it beat out like a lot of games that year that were big titles. And uh, yeah, a lot of publications called Walking Dead the, the best game. Uh, well, what year was that? Um, I'm looking it up right now. It's got over, I mean, 90 Game of the Year awards. Uh, yeah, Dead. it was 2012. Yeah, but uh, it's they've got nine seasons and they're only up to five right now. Yeah, and uh, this just like pushed adventure gaming back. I don't want to say into the mainstream, but people started making them again. And uh, Telltale went on to get licenses for the uh, Borderlands universe of uh, first-person role-playing shooters and then yep. Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones. I'm currently playing through Tales from the Borderlands with that, which you said actually just finished up. They just had the last chapter. Yeah, and um, I believe it's their best. Yeah, they've also um, done Back to the Future, the game, which is one I played this last week with a very convincing uh, voice actor who sounds just like uh, Marty McFly. Wow. Yeah, I mean... He oh, was, yeah, the the voice work in general is spectacular. When well, I, they can't, I, I, I downloaded the game, I own it, I just haven't played it yet. Yeah, mm-hmm. another one that they've done is called The Wolf Among Us, which is based off of the... Um, I can't remember the author. Fables. Yeah, Fables. I was trying to remember the author's name. Uh, but this one is where the Fable Land, yep. the Fantasyland, all the um, Fable characters have come over to this side. So they're in the real world, living in like this little four block area of New York City, kind of veiled from all the regular humans. And keeping track and keeping tabs on everybody in this, uh, this little Fable town is Big B Wolf. Big yeah. Bad Wolf in human form is the sheriff of Fable Town, and you're oh, trying that's cool. to yeah, it's it's really good because it, you've got this point where you can wolf out on people, um, and you're interacting with you know this one's it's like twisted fairy tales. Uh, Red Riding Hood is a um, revolutionary murderer. Uh, it's just I mean there's all these all these great uh, characters in it. Uh, and the comic also is amazing. I've got a yeah. It's uh, Bill Willingham. Bill Willingham. Yeah. In fact, the comics just ended this year. They started back in 2002 and ended in July of this year. Uh, they were Vertigo. Yeah. And the game is set before the first in the like years before the first ep- uh, issue of the comics. Yep. And Joel, your uh, kids may be interested in this. They have the most recent released one from them is Minecraft Story Mode. Yeah, I was looking at that uh, this week, and uh, they they probably already know about it. <laughs> oh, I yeah. It to them, but, yeah, that looked like it was a lot of fun. And the voice acting on that one is another. They got, like, Patton Oswalt. Um, uh, let's see. I can't remember who else. The, 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 but the cast was really good for Story Mode. Uh, I know Patton Oswalt is, like, the main character. Mm-hmm. It's also the first uh, Telltale game where you can sort of create your character. You can decide whether you're playing as Steve or whether you're playing as a female Minecraft character. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Brian Potion. Oh, Posein. Posein, Ashley Johnson, Scott Porter, uh, Martha Plimpton from the Goonies, (laughs) Corey Feldman, Billy West. 
And Paul, somewhere it, it scrolls off. I don't know who that other person Ashley is. Ashley Johnson was the the daughter from uh, Growing Pains. Yep. Okay. And Billy West is Fry. Yep. yep. Well, well, Ashley Johnson has done so much voice work. Yeah, that's what she's mainly known for anymore. Yeah, I don't even know what the story is, but I know that uh, Sophie's chomping at the bit to get it. <laughs> so, but yeah, but this uh, Telltale Games... Uh, also has just, I mean, they've taken this concept and they're almost, I don't say almost, but they're pretty much are the, uh, what Sierra? I don't know, Sierra, I say oh, LucasArts yeah. used to be. Well, they're mostly LucasArts. They started as a core of former LucasArts players, but yeah, they're at least as big as either LucasArts or Sierra in the heyday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, like next year, they're coming out with season three of Walking Dead. Uh, I own almost everything they've ever made. I, I think I'm missing like the Law and Order and CSI games, which are not considered very good. I might be missing the Bone games as well. Yeah, I heard the Bone games are kind of. A little janky, but uh, you know, my my kid, the girls are still fans of Bone. So, um, and the, uh, the success of the Telltale games brought uh, some imports in. There's uh, the comedy adventure Deponia series from uh, Daedalic Entertainment. It was mostly popular in Germany, but uh, the trilogy has made its way over here. I own the trilogy and have not started it yet. Yeah, I've, it's on my list. It's on my wish list on Steam. I have not, I mean, again, with I playing through several of the Telltale games all at once, so I... Sure. Yeah, yeah. it was in a humble bundle, so I ended up with the trilogy. It, it's on my Steam account. I haven't started it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the, then we've got, uh, we were talking a little bit about Tim Schafer in the first half, Broken Age. Oh, yeah. Broken this- Age is another, like, well, milestone for the adventure game, because Broken Age took tim schaefer to kickstarter and he said what i want to do is i want to make an old school point and click adventure game that the public will have uh a little bit of input on and they'll be able to see the development cycle through and at the time broken age was the number one most funded kickstarter project of all time uh the record has since been broken if i recall but it was uh i think the first project to a million dollars mm-hmm uh, this actually, Broken Age just came out for free on uh, PlayStation Network this nice. month. So I've been playing it on uh, on the commute home on my Vita. So and it's it's definitely got that the double fine style to it. Mm-hmm. Very stylistic, very kind of like angular characters, and a uh, that twist. You know, like the the beginning. There's two when you start this off. There's two characters that you play. You can either play the boy who's in the future. This girl who's kind of uh, kind of like in a um, like a farming type community. If you can, if you initially just look at it from the cover, of the the opening splash screen, right? Where well, the the guy has lived his entire life in this spaceship with a computer that uh, talks to him as though it's his parent, mm-hmm. and he goes on all these adventures, but none of them matter, and he's starting to get too old for it. Where the girl lives in a society where. Well, Every girl past a certain age is expected to groom herself to be eaten by a horrible monster so that the village can survive. Yeah. And it's, well, you, and then you play the initial beginning of the, of the game, like, oh, it's a princess's feast. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, the princess's feast. Oh, you're one of the princesses in the princess's feast. And they're talking about how happy they are. And there's cake and streamers and all this. And they keep talking about it like, like a sweet 16 type of thing. You know, oh, you know, you've reached that age, that sort of thing. Oh, we're so proud of you. And then it cuts to the next scene, and she's tied to a you know uh, tied to a pillar out on the ocean, 
while this uh, Cthulhu-looking thing is coming at her to get to eat her. Yeah, and all the other girls in the village, they, like, buy into it. They're uh, uh, considered an honor to be devoured, chosen and devoured by the monster. And she's the plucky heroine that is questioning why her society says that it has to be this way. And she wants to fight her way free and live her life. Yeah, well, don't forget about Cantankerous Old Grandpa, too. Sure. Yeah, but uh, so, great but game. I, I don't want to spoil because right in the middle of the game, there is a big twist. And uh, the game was left on a cliffhanger for a long time, and it was actually kind of controversial because it got all this money. It took so long to come out, and then it was only half done for a year and a half. Yeah. And a lot of the Kickstarter backers were pissed. And really what happened is this is a big budget adventure title, ran into production delays, and they ran out of money. They had to sell the first half so they could have the operating capital to finish the game. Mm-hmm. And it's out now. It's complete. It's well regarded. Uh, the uh, process that it wasn't finished and they ran out of their backers' money left a bad taste in some people's mouths. Yep. Uh, also, with them is the. Uh, did we say. Do we talk? We talked about Broken Sword, right? Yeah, we talked about. Oh, yeah. Then, then there's uh, Siberia. Oh yeah, I, I think that. Uh, series of games was still life the first one no i think siberia was the first one longest journey and then still life um i'd never heard of any of those three yeah it's it's kind of like it's it's the point and click adventure uh and i think the first one in siberia you play the granddaughter of uh kate walker or kate walker the grand your grandfather has left you if i'm remembering correctly it's been a long time since i've played it where it's a You've been left something in in by your grandfather. You come to collect it, and then this whole mystery kicks in. Uh, very m- more styled towards the uh, mist and riven style of look of graphics. It doesn't look cartoony at all. It's very uh, as realistic as it could get. Two thousand and two when it came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. I don't know if this was actually made in France. I actually think it was first made because I think Microids, which is the publisher, yeah. is a French company. Designed by Benoit, Benoit, Benoit Sokal. So, okay, so yes, definitely originally French. Yeah, but it's kind of a, um, imagine, like, a best way to describe it is point-and-click Lara Croft. Okay. She's the adventurous, she's looking, you know, out there, uh, you know, looking to solve this mystery about her background and, um, you know, this, and the, you know, the whole, the whole mystery kicks in. Um, a good game. I, pl- like I said, I played it back in 2002, so I, you know, I barely remember what I did two weeks ago, much less that long ago. So, yeah, all of these microids, uh, like French Canadian adventure games, share really intelligent writing, strong female protagonists. A lot of them have steampunk uh, adventure elements in them. Uh, aside from uh, f- uh, what was the last one we talked about here? Uh, still Life. I, still Life was a murder mystery, if I remember right. Like uh, I. I think the concept was uh, the murderer's painting or photographer. I own this one, but haven't gotten around to it. Okay. Now, did you realize, I toss this in here after the end, that uh, text-based games are still uh, alive and thriving? Um, You can, I actually had, it's, nowadays you can, people will write text-based games. And you can play them on either your PC or on a, a I played it on a Palm Pilot, uh, on a Z Machine interpreter. And now, a Z Machine, is that like the old Vax VMS? I don't know. Okay. Uh, that's all I know is that it's any any uh, program that runs the um, 
the text-based games is called the Z Machine Interpreter. So for like Android or the iPhone, I, w- I know the Android one is called Text Fiction. Uh, and the cool thing about that is that you can just, now that you have touchscreens and all this, you can have touch to go north, south, east, or west instead of having to type everything in. But there's actually interactive fiction competitions. Uh, their latest one was 2014. And you can go in and uh, contribute your story and uh, play people would download them and play them and you'll get uh, you get votes and you win uh, come you know you can win I don't even know what the prize is but uh, there's they're ranked and you can judge and browse and play the game and you can um, there's let's see browse and play the game one called five minutes to burn something by Alex Butterfield so I have uh, not played that one but I have I have a little bit of an answer on Z machine the Z stands for Zork Oh, really? This is a virtual ah. machine uh, that was developed all the way back in 1979, uh, compiled code specifically for Infocom's text adventure games. And the virtual machine is now being used on phones for this interactive fiction. So we've come full circle. Yeah. <laughs> and Why cool- not Zoidberg? <laughs> and the cool thing is that you can download, like right now the 2015 ones are up, and you can download a zip archive of all the games for a mere 173 megabytes. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, and then there's, you know, all there's Arcane Intern, unpaid. You know, uh, what was the other goofy one I saw? Brain Guzzlers from Beyond, presented in a spine-tingling textorama format. Uh, Your Bonnie Noodleman, ordinary, well-adjusted teenager in an ordinary, well-adjusted drive-up, make-out mountain until some gooey monstrosity from beyond the stars guzzles your boyfriend's brains clean out of his head. So it's set in 1959, you're trying to survive the blob. Uh, but there is a, I mean, there's all sorts of different themes to them. There's all sorts of different, uh, there's everything from horror to supernatural to, uh, oh, geez, um, sci-fi. There's one that apparently looks like something you already play a fish. I mean, there's a ton of these games in here. Uh, another one called Final Exam, you know, but you can download these games and play them on the, on the Z machine. And, you know, every now and then I've got the Z machine on my, that, the, which one did I say it was? Um, text fiction on my phone. And the cool thing is that people write these and there's some good writers out there. So you can get like a quick game that you could play on your break or on the commute or whatever, but people are still writing these games. And it's really kind of cool that this, this, what you think would be an archaic and outdated way of, uh, presenting a game is still being uh still being done well yeah anything that i mean our whole thing is nostalgia i, I was just reading the old uh bulletin board games uh specifically the door games i know pat you remember those yep the a new door game was actually uh coded just this year by uh i think it was Waylon jennings son <laughs> Really? That's kind of weird. There was this weird uh, article about, like, he just got into it, like, quit his country music career. Shooter Jennings, yeah. Huh. Shooter Jennings just, like, uh, coded, wrote, and released his own BBS-style door game just, like, last year. Well, and I think you guys are missing a big one here. Um, From Celador Games, don't shit your pants. (laughs) That it would technically be a short adventure game. Yeah, I won. <laughs> you've you've got the same. You're standing in the hallway. You're uh, trying. The like, object of the game is to not shit your pants. <laughs> and you got to type in the commands correctly in order to succeed. Or you shit your pants. Yeah, I don't know and where to there take are it from different here. endings. Yes, you can have you. And there's different achievements also. Sometimes you pee your pants. 
So here's here's a toss up to you. I'm not, I don't even know where to take it from here. Seriously, uh, this interactive fiction competition. Guess how long it's been going on? No idea. Twenty one years. Jeez. Yeah. So anyone That's can judge and let's. Oh, here's the uh, the competition's prize pool. What can you win? Expert services, a small piece based on or set in the world of your game, which might consist of a short fiction cover art or feely. Oh, we didn't talk about feelies. What's a feely? Uh, the stuff you got, like, you get Zork. We buy Zork, like, number two or three, where you got the little glow-in-the-dark rock. Those are feelies, stuff that they put in the box that would that would coincide with the game. So, like, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you got a don't panic button, a piece of pocket fuzz, which is just cotton ball, and I forget what else was in there. I remember the glow-in-the-dark rock from Zork. Huh. But there was just, like, like just... Just for lack of a better term, just shit they toss in the box that kind of ma- matched up with the game. So they would make they would make this stuff. They would do cover art for your book for your uh, for your game or make a feely or something that you could you can market along with it. So that's kind of cool. Also, you can win any one item from Sudara's Punjami's collection. What the hell? They're they're pajamas. Hmm. All right, so you can win pajamas if you write a good story. I don't know. Where, I don't know. I don't know where to go from that. I got a plenty. I got a plenty. I got a plenty of my own pajamas. <laughs> but, so, well, I, I think that uh, we're, we're quickly fizzling out. Yeah, on this topic I think we're as we get into feelies and Z machines and, and shitting your pants and your pants. pajamas and shitting yeah, our pants. No idea what happened in the last half hour. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, before we move on to our topic for next week, I have a fairly traditional question. Uh, since I know that Mike and I have played a whole uh, lot more of the modern games, I'm not going to split it up by halves, but do we have a number one favorite adventure game for each of us? Ooh. Mm, my my knee-jerk reaction was to say King's Quest, and I'm looking at all the names to see if anything would change that. Uh, no, that, that's pretty much, that's going to be it. King's Quest, huh? Yeah. Oh, and since I... I, I, I was, a, I was the Williams bitches. I, I, anything that they put out, I loved. So. Yeah, you did. Uh, yeah, you don't have to justify it to me. I remember buying the CD for Girl in the Tower. <laughs> or as Pat called it, Girl in the Tower. Girl in the Tower. Um, <laughs> I, since I don't remember playing too many of these when I was a kid, I was, you know, Nintendo and... Karatika and all that Apple II nonsense. Um, I'm going to go with Zork because it beat me, and now I've got to beat it. And then he's going to play the game. Right. Boom, boom. See what I did there? I did. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go with... Mm. It's tough, isn't it? It Sling is, especially because of all the ones that I've played. I hear you. Uh, I'm going to say for long haul, if I had to choose to play one and only have one, it would probably be Monkey Island. Curse of Monkey Island. Because if I remember correctly, that's the one where you get into the giant robotic monkey. If I remember that, that's a, that's a fun one. Mosh's- I am going to give a, one one quick disclaimer on my King's, cast, King's Quest. <laughs> is that it's going to stay that way as long as I never play the game again. Because I don't want to play it again and find out it's crap. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Because I remember as a kid, I loved it so much. So... I want to say Grim Fandango. 
Grim Fandango is so well written. It's so imaginative, but really just the fact that it was the first PC game I ever bought, and I'm such a big PC gamer, and there are so many little mysteries. Like, you can beat the game without ever discovering. I'm going to have to go with the Colonel's Bequest. Mm. That's a good one. So. So, next week. Next week. All right, next week, uh, we've uh, been tossing around stuff. Uh, We've already done a Thanksgiving show. So we're, uh, you can reach back in our archives and read that, but, and sorry, not read that, listen to that. <laughs> However, in honor of Thanksgiving, when you think of Thanksgiving, you think of food. And we've done f- other food shows throughout the year, but there is one huge category of food that, uh, we haven't talked about at all. And, uh, it's a big enough topic that we're going to split it across two weeks to bridge the gap across Thanksgiving and into December. Right. And we're going to talk about various ethnic foods from Chinese to Mexican to Italian to uh, Eastern Indian. Sure. Indian, yeah. Thai. Yeah. We're going to eat food for you for the next couple of shows. What? Talk about like what <laughs> sort of stuff when we ordered takeout as a kid. Like were there types of unusual food that uh, we ate that other people didn't? Yeah. Was there Double stuff that we wouldn't even... We wouldn't even try when we were kids that uh, we love now. Yes, I'm completely ignoring that and going and moving over. <laughs> I feel like a little child who's just like shouting things at his dad. Who's just, look at me, mom, mom. Look at me. Look at me, mom, mom, mom. Look over here, mom. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna be eating up food over the next couple of weeks, and uh, oh darn. Yeah. Oh, yeah, those are always fun shows. Not as much fun buying new pants. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um. Here's a suggestion. If, when this comes out, you have any suggestions for us of different foods that we may want to uh, hear what we have to say or have us try, let us know. Get us on Twitter. Not eating Indian food. Why? I don't like it. I've tried so it. Good. I've tried to like it. I don't like it. Right. And it does not like me. Have you had shawarma? I do love shawarma. <laughs> Shawarma's the shit. Shawarma and Greg. <laughs> but I Excuse don't me. like curry. Tim Curry and Greg. I love Tim Curry. If Tim Curry were a dish, I would eat him up. This has gone to a weird place. Um, <laughs> so if you want to give us some suggestions of food to eat, something to stuff in our maw, uh, then call us at 708-NOW-RAP. That's a maw with a W, right? Yeah. Yes. It's still kind of weird. Remember, I do live in Texas. Oh, that's right. <laughs> if you want us to find something that we can shove in Pat's maw... <laughs> Call us at 708-669-9727 or click that Call Us button on Facebook. You can also find our uh, older shows on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TuckShoe. And um, if you also want to get in touch with us on Facebook, you can type us out a message or find us on Twitter at at 40go14. Put show down. I shit my pants. Damn it. (laughs) This show ended weird. <laughs> Put show down. Uh, show you dress funny and you smell. And your ma. <laughs> Get out of here. Go stuff my ma. <laughs> All right. It's time to go to bed. Good night, kids. Good night. You are now leaving the world of Musings of a Geek podcast network. Stay geeky, my friends. I did that a lot back then, though. I, I would play like a, a game for like you know the first eight hours or something, and then just stop for some reason. I think I would just find another game and that I was like, "Ooh, I like this one. Buy it, play it, and then never finish one." Just 
I think I think my parents messed me up with the Dukes of Hazard thing. I don't know how to finish anything. Oh my god, that's <laughs> my fear of commitment. That's everything. My parents and the Dukes of Hazard problem. I just unlocked it, something in my entire life. There's a book in there somewhere, Pat. And I will be married within the year. <laughs> but only after he does pen- penance wearing Daisy Dukes for eleven months <laughs> and, and watching nine days. And watching Dukes of Hazard straight through with no sleep. Just to finally get closure. 